The 2022 Formula E season began with absolute Mercedes domination last Friday in Diria, but then it turned into something much more wild, wide open and Formula E-like on Saturday. So hello, welcome to the first event review episode of the Race Formula E podcast for 2022 after an intriguing week in Saudi Arabia. I'm Matt Beer, I'm here in my role as supply teacher host for the Races podcast because our usual presenter Andrew Vanderberg is busy preparing for the inaugural The Race Media Awards which take place next week in London. Um, our Formula E writer, Sam Smith, is here too. He suggested that VDB is polishing up a Lifetime Achievement Award for himself as we speak, but um, that's that's Sam's suggestion. Um, Sam was, as usual, in the thick of the paddock last weekend, getting all the news and views, and he and I are also joined by a very special guest to look over the Deria races. It's new Jaguar reserve and simulator driver, Norman Natto. Uh, Norman was the winner of the last race of last season with Venturi, and he made his first public appearance in Jaguar colours in Saudi Arabia last weekend. So welcome to the show, Norman. How are you? Thank you. I'm really good. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. And Sam, even though I'm a different presenter, we're going to keep your usual format uh, for the traditional opening question and talk briefly about our guests. So what are your recollections of Norman's time racing in Formula E last year and uh, what are you expecting him to bring to Jaguar in his new role? Well, I think I think Norman had a really strong rookie season last year. Uh, obviously, winning the final race was was the cherry on the cake for, for him from his personal um, perspective. And he, he did a very good job at Venturi. Arguably, should have got a hatful more points, uh, particularly in Valencia and, and Rome, but was was let down with some um, some issues in Rome with the team. But... You know, Formula E is, is is super tough in your first season. I, I think we can we can all um, see that in each rookie that comes year by year. And and ultimately, I think Norman was a bit hard done by in in not getting a, a second season at Formula E. But that's you know this is this is international racing and it's it's quite a cutthroat business. So, but Jaguar have really pulled off a bit of a masterstroke in getting Norman um, as their reserve and simulator driver brings a lot of relevant experience and of course brings experience of one of their chief rivals in, in Mercedes and, and the Mercedes package. So, yeah, a smart move all round. And, uh, you know, I think it'll uh, it'll pay dividends over the course of the season. Well, one thing Norman missed out on trying in Saudi Arabia was the new qualifying format, which was what everybody was talking about before the season began. It's Formula E's attempt to make things a bit less random than the old group system that uh, gave quite a big advantage to people further down the championship as, as the year went on. Um, on the race last week, we did a, a quick multi-voice argue, um, verdict piece, giving our first impressions of it. And I have to say, I was probably the most sceptical. I felt the format still dragged a little bit. But I also made the point that if we get to the final rounds in South Korea in August with a really good title battle, then actually it's, it's done its job. So that was my assessment watching it uh, on TV at home. But Norman, you were in the paddock last weekend and you were very much invested in this as an, an advisor at Jaguar team. So what did you think of the new format and uh, what were the Jaguar drivers telling you about what they made of it? Yeah, you know, it was quite, a, quite interesting. As you say, like I didn't have the opportunity to really try it on track, but uh, uh, like we needed something for sure different. Uh, the drivers and the team uh, were complaining for, for a few years now about uh, this uh, qualifying format. And yeah, as you say, like on some track, uh, was like a big disadvantage for for the front runners um, to start like in group one. So I would say that now uh, everything is more equal, uh, even though like they still for the first time in in, in Riyadh like uh, using this format and uh, for sure was still not perfect. We we saw like especially in uh, in uh, day one uh, in our case with uh, Mitch Evans we we got like. Uh, um, 
our last chance of uh, doing a lap uh, cancel because of a yellow flag uh, in, in turn one when the motor crashed. So for sure was uh, not perfect, but I mean, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's a new format that we all uh, have to learn about. And um, even the, the FI and the championship for sure, like uh, they took some lesson of what happened at the, at the first race. And I'm pretty sure that in Mexico, the driver and the team manager will give a feedback of this new format and things will, uh, will move forward. But I, I would say that uh, uh, we needed a change and uh, it's going in the right direction. And Sam, what did you make of the format? Did, did it deliver? And, and is there anything you'll tweak about it before the next round? Yeah, I, th- I think it did deliver. You know, it was it was exciting. It was entertaining. The duels obviously was the the sort of the highlight or the the, the crescendo of going into to those duels, which I thought worked very well. I mean, it's, it's pretty much unique. It was it was tried for a, for a season in the Super League um, formula, the the sort of football orientated formula of, of sort of a decade ago. But I thought it I thought it actually did deliver. It it's, it it does need polishing. There are certain aspects of it which I think probably need um looking at uh, but mainly it's the tvs how the tv captured it there, there was some really cool stuff that they sort of innovated the the the, the sort of melded uh, laps that they did for the for the final on uh, on friday in particular and then they they did a sort of delayed version of that on the saturday to show um as if it was in real time how the the finalists were getting on so as norman said it's um it's it's a fairer system uh, the track evolution is 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 pared down. Um, the the main issue that we saw operationally, I guess, was when Antonio Felix da Costa was was sort of caught unawares and, and missed the green light. And and what that did is it 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 made the whole sort of system fall over a little bit, very very temporarily. Um, and, and what wasn't generally known was that actually the wrong um, the wrong car was sent out after. Degrassi and, and De Costa, so it kind of it kind of flipped to the next one because obviously one had been missed. So they they recalibrated that and they actually kind of got away with it. But that will certainly be a lesson that um, needs to be learned for for the coming races. Other than that, it, it's a fairer system. It's entertaining. Um, it gives the drivers uh, more track time, but it also makes them have to be on their ball completely other than just that one lap they used to get in the individual groups last year. Um, I think there's a variety of strategies. The one thing that TV probably missed out on, I think, particularly on the first day, was it it didn't really give you much in terms of what the teams were doing tyre-wise, because certainly some teams, particularly Degrassi in that first on that first day, um, was was just going out and doing um and just out there doing laps and then he'd have sort of a double cool lap and then and then go for his his quick lap at the end and and a few copied that on the on the saturday and others um you know changed their fronts or they they looked at different ways of of utilizing their their tire allocation but that was kind of missed by tv so i'm sure that'll come into its own that five minute gap between the semi-final and the final it, it seemed to be quite a long gap i think the TV people can do a bit more to to sort of hype up the the final a little bit there to fill that void. But but ultimately, I thought it was a really it was a really good start. Um, the FIA were ultra nervous beforehand, but I think those nerves were were sort of quelled a little bit by the fact that it, it generally, apart from the the De Costa incident, went very well. Well, one of the things that the qualifying format is intended to achieve is a less random grid and a bit more of a kind of meritocratic hierarchy. 
and uh, it gave us two grids with Mercedes up front. Now, we always knew Mercedes was going to be quick again this year, um, but it was clear on Friday that Nick de Vries and Stoffel van Dorn had a, had a very clear advantage. So, Norman, what did you make of Mercedes' pace in, in qualifying in the first race particularly? Oh, well, uh, I was not surprised to see like a strong weekend from uh, Mercedes and Venturi, to be honest. If you look at last year already, like Nick de Vries was super, super fast. And even Edo Martin, uh, he finished third on the first race and... Uh, and on day two, uh, he had a, an issue on the car, and uh, he crashed in free practice, and uh, he couldn't uh, he couldn't make the race. So uh, it was not really a surprise for me, you know. Um, also, like last year, like in my case, it was my first race weekend. I only drove a Formula car for four days before this event, and you know, like many people forget that uh, Venturi is not a manufacturer, and, and and last year we didn't have the opportunity to do like testing day, like full day of tests like uh, the manuf- manufacturer could uh, could uh, could do and uh, that's why like uh, last year you could see us like improving uh, race by race and especially in my case where I was a rookie um, you know like um, uh, the car for sure uh, performed really well straight from the beginning of the year but we were still like uh, not really didn't really find the consistent consistency sorry and uh, for us like race by race was a kind of trying something new on the car when the other were already like put everything together and try to, to deliver, you know, and that's why also like at the, at the end of the year, we could show like uh, this kind of uh, performance as we did in Berlin. So yeah, uh, for me, like they just uh, took the baseline from last year. They just made some change and tried to improve compared to last year. But, uh, but you know, like uh, I expect again, like the, the championship to be really tight uh, for sure. This, uh, this track, uh, fits quite well to the Mercedes power train and Mercedes car and uh, Venturi. Uh, but uh, yeah, as we saw last year, like, you know, like Formula E uh, at the end is uh, uh, from one day to another day, it can be completely different. Uh, looking at uh, Stoffel Vandom, for example, on day one, he was super strong. Day two was a bit more difficult. And even for Nick De Ries in race two, uh, he was leading the race. And at some point, like, he, he just couldn't, he didn't have the pace for it anymore. And uh, uh, they did a small mistake in the Tacmo strategy and then your, your race is over. So, yeah, uh, for sure, Mercedes will be strong. Uh, I, and even Venturi, I expect them to be at the front uh, all the year. But uh, again, it will be like a, a big fight with some other teams and it's going to be tight until the last race. Well, like you say, Norman, yeah, Diria is a very good track for this Mercedes EQ Silver Arrow 02. It's a car you know really well from driving it all last season at Venturi. Now you're trying to beat it with Jaguar. Has the Mercedes got any weaknesses that you can pinpoint from last year? Or are there, are there certain tracks where it won't be as strong, do you think? Uh, yes, you know, like uh, for me, it's really interesting like, to be uh, now uh, with a team who finished like a second last year and who've been fighting uh, for the driver championship, but also for the team championship and to see uh, what uh, they are doing differently and you know like all the process uh, simulator and the way they work you know it's completely different Venturi at the end we were let's say we are based in we were, we were based in Monaco but it's uh, uh, all people working in the team were French um, and uh, like working with like now Jaguar which is like a different philosophy different people uh, and it's been a bit of a last minute uh, um, decision, I would say. So I arrived to, to Diria and I was like, I just did like a day in the simulator, uh, which is not enough to understand everything about like the car and the tool they have like uh, uh, in the steering wheel and with the soft, you know, because this is a big thing in the formula. It's like the mechanical, mechanical setup for sure. It's, it's one thing, but like uh, where you can make like big difference 
in Formula E, it's like uh, yeah, knowing uh, your steering wheel and all the tools you have in it, uh, but to get your car better. So uh, this is like for me really interesting to take part of the debriefing and the brief with the engineer and the two driver. Uh, like for example, on Thursday when I arrived to the race, like Mitch and Sam, uh, they kind of uh, took the steering wheel and tried to to but to explain me like all the tools they have and what they played during the race weekend, during the race qualifying lap, etc. So yeah, for sure, like a uh, big thing for for Jaguar uh, was to but to know a bit more about my experience in Formula E and especially with a uh, with Venturi with a Mercedes Pro Trend because as you say we we knew and we know that they're gonna be strong. Uh, there's uh, things uh, which uh, is a completely different philosophy than what Jaguar is doing. But at the end, you know, it's going to be details. It's not like one thing which is uh, Mercedes is doing much, be- much better on the other way that Jaguar is doing much better as well. Uh, it's going to be details and uh, some of the things for sure can be different or improved. And uh, we didn't have time for sure for Diria to, to put like everything together. Uh, but step by step, I'm, I'm really confident that we, uh, we're going to use my experience and also we're going to improve as a team. And uh, I will do my best, to be honest, to, to try to, um, but to help them in a way that um, if Mitch or Sam or the championship at the end, we we are the winner. Like I will feel that uh, I'm part of this team and I, I push for it. So yeah, uh, for me, it's not like being uh, uh, to the races, uh, drink coffee and being like a tourist. You know, I really take this role as a race driver as a, uh, seriously and try to to help the team um, also like on uh, during free practice I'm I'm trying to go like around the track in some corners to to have a look of the of the different uh, car balance of the, the other teams compared to us and try to give a feedback to to the engineer so yeah uh, so far like it's been really interesting for me in the area but there's uh, much more to come I can vouch for, for Norman there whenever I saw him he had a little notepad and he was scribbling I don't know what he was scribbling but lots of detail in his notepad on the grid and then I saw him uh, at the side of the track in the free, first free practice session, he was out there on a bit of a spying mission. So, uh, but but Norman, the the word in the paddock was that Mercedes made quite a lot of um, quite a lot of progress on the two twenty uh, kilowatt runs, and and that their car is is better. Did did you notice that? Does that does that tally with you that they've made an improvement on the two twenty um, power mode? No, but for me, that's not really really true. To be honest. Um, you know, as you say, as well, the, the format, the qualifying format change. Um, from my point of view, last year, as a rookie especially, it was really stressful to go to qualifying to do to get only one lap in 250. Because like you arrive from pre-practice when you only got like two laps in 250, which is not a lot. And, uh, and when you are in qualifying, you know, tires are cold and uh, you know that you only get one lap. And in Formula E, if you don't push like the car to the limit or even more, you're going to be two or three dents down and, and it's not enough. You're like P10 or P15. So basically, you have to give everything and accept that uh, sometimes maybe you will crash or lock up, uh, lock up some, some wheels and then go straight and uh, your lap is over. But that's Formula E, you know. And uh, I would say that uh, the, the car always has been strong uh, over one lap. If you, if you come back on last year uh, in, in qualifying, you always had like, is there like a Venturi or a Mercedes uh, at the front. So it means that the car always has been working. Then it also depends on track condition and everything. But to be honest, no, uh, I was not really surprised of the uh, qualifying of the Mercedes and the Venturi in Riyadh. And again, when you just look at last year, what happened in qualifying, Nick was really, really fast. And it does as well. So on, on my case, to be honest, as I said, it was my first race weekend. 
uh, I was discovering everything and it was about like to do laps and not to crash a car every session. So uh, we clearly saw like uh, an improvement in Rome because I arrived with a different mentality where I was like, okay, now you have to accept that maybe you would do mistakes. Uh, you know what to expect and now you push. In Riyadh, I was more like, okay, you need to discover, do some laps and not uh, go like stupid and say, I want to fight for top position straight away because this is Formula A and it's really, really difficult to do. So no, no, I, I'm not really surprised like, of the performance of the of the Mercedes and Venturi in qualifying. I think that the, maybe the new format uh, fits, uh, fits them like uh, better, I would say, uh, because yeah, something which is true is that our car is strong, normally stronger in, uh, in race than in qualifying. Um, but for sure, like during the winter, they maybe did some improvements, but I don't think they did anything crazy, you know, uh, on that. Uh, last year, we already had a good car, so I'm not surprised at all. You, you mentioned how easy it is for strange things to happen in Formula E, even when you've, you've got the best car there, Norman. And Sam, we saw neither pole sitter actually win the race last, uh, last weekend. Van Dorn threw away the win on Friday night, and he did that by not activating his attack mode properly. So, how, Sam, is that an easy mistake for a Formula E driver to make, or was it, was it a bit of a galling one for him? There's always a possibility of it happening that they have to um, they arm their activation before they 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 take it. So that there is that to deal with. Then you have to simply hit the loops. There there are three transponder loops in the track. And actually in Riyadh, I did the track walk on the on the day before on the Thursday, and it is really tight there. So you you, you when you hit the apex, you then have to go. You you've got to keep the the trajectory to go right to hit the the transponder loops um and you've got to get that right it's happened multiple times before so stoffel isn't the first to do it um but it is a it is considered as a a basic error it's an error of judgment and and actually stoffel was very upfront about that after the race he it was a full mea culpa you know it was his fault um and it was a crucial error and it, and it probably lost him the race but yeah it's, it's one of those things it's just a simple error of judgment it, I think actually speaking to some of the drivers, it's almost one of those things that because they practice so much in the simulator um, that it's almost you, you, you've armed it. You're going to activate it over the transponder loops. And, and as you know, with, with drivers, often you are ahead of the, it's the next thing that your mind skips to. So it's almost just a, he'd have been thinking about the next corners or he'd have been thinking about, um, you know, defending from, from the other drivers behind him when he'd taken his attack, his attack mode. And, he, and it was just an error of judgment. So nothing more than that. And, uh, you know, he's not going to be the last. It'll happen again for sure. It just depends on where the circuit is. And, and I was actually quite surprised last year that it didn't happen more. I mean, especially when you look at places like Monaco coming through Casino Square and then you have to go to the left and you've got all those, um, the, the, the bumps and the um, just the the difficulty of, of reading casino and going over the hump and then over to the side you know there's a lot going on there and it, and it didn't happen as much last year but I, I anticipate that others will will come a cropper with this during the season how did you find the attack mode loops Norman when you, when you were driving did you have any scares with with missing them or, or any kind of dodgy rejoining moments yeah, I was about to, to to make a comment about it, like because you know when you are in the car uh, fighting uh, with people, you have to look in your mirror as well because you know like when you take the attack mode, you know that the guy behind uh, is not far off, and like when you could rejoin the track, he might be next to you. So basically, what you have to do is many things to manage. So first, uh, you know you're gonna have to to take it, so you have to arm the the, the attack mode. Then you have to 
have a look at your energy and everything. You have to look at the gap. Also, you have to manage your region paddle. Um, and then uh, you arrive to the loops and you know you have these two paints on the floor, so the red and the blue. But people are thinking that the loops uh, are in the paint, which is not the case at all. Like for example, in Riyadh, like the red paint was like uh, maybe 10 meters before the first loop. So in fact, when you are in the car, it's it's really difficult for us to exactly know where the loops are. And plus you have to regen as much as possible because it's really easy like to be really fast in the loops and in this corner and everything. But if you burn like so much energy doing it, at the end, it's not worth doing it. So it's better like at some point to maybe like, you know, uh, take a bit uh, of your time. Like if you if you have the margin to do it, because if you lose two positions as well, this is not like, uh, this is not really smart. But I mean, it's sometimes better to lose one or two tenths, you know, when you have the opportunity to do it, but to do like all the process correctly, because at the end, like what happened with Stoffel is that he was fighting for the win. So he just tried to get everything. And and yeah, and also like something you have to take in consideration in Riyadh, um, the track is really, really dusty and dirty in some parts. So if you go a bit too much offline, then you put like a lot of dust on your tire and sand. And to clean them back, it, it, you need like at least one or two laps, you know? And maybe like, I didn't speak with Stoffel about it, but maybe, you know, he just tried to maximize everything and it could have worked, but sometimes with the loop, like one centimeter of the loop, it's not working. And yeah, it's part of the game. I would say like at this time he was fighting for, for the win. Uh, it didn't work this time. And uh, as uh, Sam said, it's not the first time. It's the first time. It's not going to be the, the last time we're going to see this kind of thing because yeah, there is sometimes you have to take the risk and sometimes it's just not working. So yeah, it's uh, it's a mistake, but uh, it, it will happen a lot this year and it's uh, it's part of Formula E Championship. So you mentioned uh, one Mercedes potentially getting its tires dirty with a mistake and, and losing ground as a result. That definitely happened the following night when it was Nick De Vries' turn to lose the race. So he he had a he had one on Friday night. He took pole on Saturday. He was leading and then. Everything went wrong for him quite quickly. So, Sam, talk us through what, what happened and, and why his race imploded. Yeah, initially it was quite hard to read, really, what happened with Nick. I think from the outside it looked like he was in control of the situation. He was going to get a rare a rare double, a rare Formula E double, which doesn't have to, often happen. So, first of all, um, Degrassi overtook him and there was a little bit of barging um, at the turn 18, 19. And then... And then Nick and his team decided to save their second attack mode. So while everyone else went on second attack mode, they decided to, to sort of bank that for a bit later in the race. And I think in hindsight, that was probably not the right thing to do. And then Jean-Éric Verne, who, um, uh, sorry, uh, Robin Freinzer got past uh, Nick de Vries as well. And then Jean-Éric Verne put a move on on the Mercedes going into that same chicane. And the contact was a bit heavier this time. And, and Nick got pushed wide. It took him probably a lap or a lap and a half to get his tyres back up to optimum um, use because, as, as Norman said previously, the, the dust was incredible. The sand and dust and debris on that street track was uh, was immense. So he, he just lost a lot of momentum from that point forward and, and got shuffled back, lost four or five positions from that incident. But actually, you know, digging down into it afterwards, and we did a piece on this, you know, the, the pace of the car actually from the start wasn't fantastic. I think it was masked a little bit for the first third of the race until the number of laps was was obvious and then the team probably knew that their energy targets weren't um, weren't optimum at that stage. So he, he just got picked off and, and the extra the extra um, 
incidents that I mentioned with his with his tyres just had a, a detrimental effect. I mean, interestingly, his teammate Stoffel van Dorn, I expected to come through the field after difficulties in qualifying. And when he took his attack mode, I think he was catching um, the Roland, Vern and, and Dennis battle. I was expecting him to just toe up to them and get through, but it just never happened. So what that was, it could be track evolution. It could be a combination of that. And as I said, those those energy targets as well, that it just got slightly wrong and it all it's all sort of all melded together and, and it just didn't work for them. That does happen in Formula E, which actually, you know, when you consider that the Mercedes obviously has an advantage in terms of its efficiency and the way that it's used is actually quite good for the season because you know it shows that it's it's fallible uh, and I think we saw that on Sunday particularly with De Vries was most notable with Nick but it also happened to Stoffel and um, you know they were in the lower reaches of the of the top 10 and, and don't forget also that Nick did lose the vast majority of that first free practice session I was actually down at that corner and and uh, Nick parked his car and, and and we chatted and I I um, gave him a, a, a live timing uh, service for most of that session as we as we watched it unfold and um, yeah you know that that was certainly a, a factor I mean it, it wasn't in the Friday race but you know these, these things can often get masked and, and they all combine and it, it came back to bite them on on Saturday which was a, a major surprise but actually one which um, gives gives hope that there, there isn't going to be any kind of domination which I think in Formula E is always um, is always unlikely anyway. After it went wrong for the Works Mercedes team in race two, it was its customer team, Rocket Venturi, that came through to take the victory. Now, Norman, Rocket Venturi, that's your old team. Um, do you think there are, they are title contenders this year? You've, you've said it that we should not forget that they're a customer team, not a Works one, so they have some disadvantages. But can you see them fighting for this year's championship? Uh, yes, I think so, to be honest. Uh, because, like, uh, you know, Mercedes, um, uh, Mercedes has a really strong power train. Um, we they used to help us a lot uh, last year you know when for us as i said like we we didn't have the opportunity to to test everything so uh, we we got a big help from from mercedes and uh, as i said before you know last year uh, we missed a bit of uh, of consistency plus i was a rookie so you know um for sure all these things uh, didn't help and uh, as i said like for us race by race uh, we we start to to understand like and to find our baseline which uh, was kind of walking on all the tracks and uh, also like you know like depending of your uh, the way you you drive and your driving style like uh, each driver needs is set up to be a bit adjust and uh, yeah you know like a guy like Edo at the end he's been fighting for the championship in my position uh, I've been removed uh, two podiums um, uh, so uh, if you if you give me back these points uh, as a team we would have been top five as a championship uh, and yeah uh, being a rookie and like as I say, like in Riyadh, like for for two races, like uh, uh, I was just about like for me to to learn. So basically, you already to lose two races compared to the others. But I mean, uh, the baseline they have now uh, is is strong. They have two for me fast and experienced driver. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure like he's gonna be like uh, uh, again a pretty tight until the end of the season. But uh, uh, we could see as well that Venturi has the, uh, the capability of uh, fighting with Mercedes uh, as they did like on uh, on uh, on race two 
Um, but uh, I don't see only only them like uh, uh, being like uh, in front of the pack, you know. As I said, like they will be struggling at some point, as we saw, like uh, on uh, on race two for for Mercedes. Uh, um, like you see, like Andre Lotter, for example, in race one, he, he's been like uh, struggling with the pace and the energy massively. And in race two, he was like nearly in a position to fight for for podium. You know, from one day to another day, it's like changing completely. So I expect, like depending on the tracks as well, uh, it will be changing. And like uh, you know, like Mexico, the next race was uh, was arriving uh, uh, for us uh, as a Jaguar. Uh, it's been uh, Mitch Evans has been really strong in the past on this track as the cast seems to be and the baseline seems to be working really well so um, already the guys are focusing on this race trying to understand what went wrong last weekend uh, so so yeah I, I expect in Mexico to uh, to see some uh, some new new battles on track and uh, yeah race two uh, from my point of view was really really exciting because we saw like different cars fighting for the win uh, in race one, it's not really been the case also because we have to take in consideration that, you know, what happened with the safety car where after the safety car, like the gap in between the cars has been quite huge. And also like, uh, that's why we saw the two Mercedes uh, being like alone in front. But uh, yeah, we forgot that uh, if it would have been different with the safety car, maybe we could have seen like a different race as well. Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty, pretty interested. It's going to be pretty interesting to see like in Mexico to see like uh, if uh, Mercedes are still like dominating, which for me was not really the case at the end in Riyadh. They were strong, but they were not dominating. Uh, so yeah, uh, I can't wait to be in Mexico to be honest and uh, see what happens. Well, we should talk about your team, Jaguar, now, as, as you say, because they, they're seen as, as Mercedes' main title rivals by a lot of people. I think me and Sam both are really looking forward to seeing Mercedes versus Jaguar championship battle in Formula E. Um, very difficult weekend for Jaguar in Saudi Arabia in the end. Sam Bird got a fourth place. Mitch Evans had a, had a very rough weekend. So, Norman, from your point of view in the garage, why didn't it work out for Jaguar uh, in Saudi? And, and what was the mood like in the team? Well, uh, I won't be that negative to be honest because as you just said, like Sam uh, scored uh, P4 on race one, which is a good point. Um, and from the inside, uh, they were not fully happy of uh, uh, what we did in terms of performance, like uh, the energy management, for example, could have been better um, in uh, in race one. And uh, we still like did a P4 with Sam, so was quite positive to be honest. And uh, and we expected like to have a, a second day uh, stronger in general, even for Mitch, because uh, Mitch, to be honest, uh, he had the pace. If you look at free practice one and two, he was always one of the fastest in 220. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, in his quality lap, uh, on his first push, it was just a bit over. But I think he tried to just secure a lap to, to prepare the next push. And on the next push lap, he just uh, got caught in the in turn one by Motar with a yellow flag. And uh, yeah, from there, it's been uh, when you're starting around P15 or P14. Now it's since last year, it's really difficult, I would say, to come back because like all the field is super quick. Uh, in terms of strategy, it's not like much you can do differently than the other because when you're trying to to start uh, from far and trying to save some energy, but basically the other are trying to do the same when you're trying to push the other are trying to do the same as, as well. So basically you're kind of fighting and to make some position, uh, you need like uh, something big to happen. Otherwise, like, yeah, you can opt for maybe one or two points, but not not more like starting from, uh, from P15. 
And on day two, uh, again, like we saw that uh, in three packages, three, some uh, finish uh, P2, if I'm right, so which uh, it was quite promising. Um, and in qualifying, like both drivers, like, you know, they try to, the group they had, to be honest, was really, really strong. So they knew that if they wanted to to go uh, for the duels, they, they, they had to push back to the limit. And uh, yeah, it was just a bit too much. As I said before, Formula E, like you have to accept, like sometimes you, you make a mistake and touch a wall or go straight or whatever. And basically, yeah, that's that's what happened. Like for both of the of the drivers, they just like uh, uh, pushed a bit too hard and made a mistake and damaged a bit the car and was uh, it was over for the quality. So that's why they started from far. And again, like when you're starting from far on the grid, it's difficult to come back. Sam, what did you make of Jaguar's weekend? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was. Um, I, I thought it could have delivered a lot more. You know, there was there was a combination of of errors and. Um, kind of untapped pace really the car was quick I mean there's no doubt about that that both Sam and Mitch should should probably have got more points and and look it's the first it's the first two races of a 16 race calendar so you know it's not it's not a disaster but I just got the feeling that it's one of those championships where you you know you might look back at some races and think you know did we did we get as many points as we we should have done? And I'm not sure Jaguar really did, unfortunately, for, for lots of reasons. You know, there was bad luck, genuine bad luck, with Andre Lotterer blocking Mitch in um, in qualifying. Um, you know, as I said, the, the errors with Sam hitting the wall, but errors in Formula E are to a penny. You know, drivers do not get through a season without making mistakes and paying for them because it's a street race and they're punished very heavily. So every driver will go through those scenarios you know we mentioned Nick DeVries doing that on his very first lap of the season didn't we so that's not uncommon but yeah you know I think on uh, again with with bad luck I suppose that both cars were in pretty decent positions to get points on Saturday but ultimately were were thwarted by the by the safety car um I think Sam and Mitch both could have got points in that last 10 minutes if there'd have been some extra time if the if the, the 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 race director and the the marshals that have have been able to get that car cleared, but we'll, we'll come on to that in another another question, I'm sure. But Jaguar, I think, yeah, they'll be very disappointed. Um, Sam drove a good race on on Friday, but for Mitch to come away with one point um, is is not good. And as a team, coming away from the first race with um, uh, in sixth position with those with those uh, thirteen points is uh, yeah not not the optimum from the weekend but I expect them to be coming fighting back pretty strongly in Mexico of which they they won of course last time though with with Mitch at the beginning of twenty twenty. So apart from the two Mercedes teams and Jaguar, the other teams that had a bit of a nibble at getting near the front were Andretti and Envision. Uh, Sam, what, how would you evaluate their weekends? They came away with pretty similar points hauls and looking like potential dark horses, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And I and I think Avalanche Andretti were the big positive surprise, let's say. I mean, on the face of it, it's it's the same team that, that ran last year, but but actually there's been lots of changes there. They had to do a complete restructure when BMW left as a factory entity. Yes, they've got the same car because uh, it's homologated over those two years, but a lot has changed from a personnel point of view and it's been put together pretty quickly um, and they've come out in a very good position. I think Jake Dennis 
was excellent all weekend, very strong. Um, and he has consolidated, more than consolidated, what we saw last season. There was always that question, wasn't there, with with Jake? And I think he even questioned it himself as a rookie. Um, you know, how much of what he delivered last year was to do with that, that quirky, random qualifying? Well, I think he's proved at, at the beginning of this season that actually that there was no flukish element to what he's achieved. And, and he is a genuine contender. I think on Friday, if uh, Andre Lotterer hadn't been quite so um, difficult to overtake, if he'd have been able to get past Andre, he, he could have, I'm not saying he would have taken the Mercedes, but I think he would have pushed them a lot more. Um, got a great podium. And then he followed that up with um, with another point scoring position on, on Saturday and an equally good drive made made no mistakes as far as I could see, and the team was super impressed. And then when you add that to Oliver Askew, um, who of the three rookies was by far the most um, the most impressive of those rookies uh, and got a point, uh, sorry, got two points on his debut on Friday, 27 points from their first weekend, when you put into context that actually last season they came away from Diria with nothing um, and they're third in the standards well that that bodes extremely well for that team and I think they are um, they're more than dark horses now I think I think they can they can certainly win races this season there's no reason why not with with Jake Dennis I think that's probably too much to ask of Oliver Askew but I expect Askew now to to raise his expectations and to to go for, for bigger points uh, during the season so yeah certainly on the up and Envision we, we know what a great team Envision are very similar circumstances to um, Avalanche Andretti in that they keep the Audi car but they don't have the factory entity at the track you know but I think from Envision's point of view they're a lot more um, they've got a lot more consistency in the staff that they have compared to Andretti who, who had that restructure so it was expected that they'd be quick they were genuinely quick uh, Robin Fryan's got caught up in that pretty ludicrous battle with uh, Oliver Rowland that ended in tears um, on Friday, but then came back very strongly um, with that second place on on Saturday and um, could have got more if it wasn't for the red flag, potentially. He could have, he could have challenged um, he could have challenged for a, a victory from, from Mortara for sure. So uh, again, I, I would bracket envision certainly with um, Andretti and probably Diaz Tachita in that they can uh, they can break through um, what we think is probably the three top teams in from a championship perspective, which are Rocket Venturi, Mercedes EQ, and and, and Jaguar um, TCS as well. So yeah, that, that they they can both be pretty happy with their points all from the weekend and uh, as we head to Mexico. So Sam, you did mention there the way the race finished on Saturday, which I do think Sam we should we should talk about quickly before we look at the rookies and uh, kind of overall performance. But um, Norman, what were you, what was your view on how the race finished under safety car after the Alexander Sims incident? Obviously, everyone was hoping it would go racing again, and then there was a scary moment with the recovery vehicle. And I guess for a racing driver, um, seeing a recovery tractor going slowly around the blind corner, that's not ideal for you, is it? Even if you're behind the safety car, although yellow's out. Yeah, well, you, you know, in my in my position, it's uh, I was not in the car, so I'm not maybe like the the right person to ask for uh, to exactly have a feeling of what happened. But for sure, I don't like to see this kind of thing. Uh, you know, I've lost my best friend, uh, Jules Bianchi, with uh, this kind of uh, 
this kind of incident. So yeah, it's clearly like something I don't like to see. Uh, for me, like from my point of view, like uh, things could have been managed a bit better. Um, but you know, like these people like against Wi-Fi, I'm sure like they are doing their best and they will review everything to see like what they, what uh, things have been wrong. And it's also important for me like for the future to to speak to the driver and also to the team manager in general and to. Uh, but to see uh, what could be differently for the future, because um, this is one thing, this is a safety, which is really important for everyone. But on the other hand, like, uh, you know, it was still like 10 or 11 uh, minutes to go. Uh, we could have uh, could have seen like a really like uh, nice fight at the end of the race with five or six cars fighting for the win. And uh, we didn't. Uh, so for the show, for people who are watching on TV, even for us, was really frustrating. And uh, that's not the way we, we like, you know, to to the end, uh, to the races to end. And uh, yeah, for sure, again, it was the first race weekend of the year, a new qualifying format. Um, so for sure, there's things to to improve. And uh, but yeah, for sure, like what happened uh, in this case could have been managed a bit differently and um, i'm pretty sure like for the future like they will sit down and discuss uh, all together and see what uh, can be done differently so sam you you spoke in detail with the race director scott elkins about everything that happened at the end of end of race two and you did a a great piece on the race at the weekend explaining all, all the circumstances um so what was your take on it and what did you learn from from scott elkins about how this all happened yeah, well, clearly, um, clearly the recovery took too long. I mean, that that was acknowledged. There was there was a bit of a meal made of of getting Sims's car out of the way. I mean, look, you know, it's a street track; it's not easy to do, but they managed to do it in ninety seconds or two minutes at Monaco, where they're famed for really quick um, recoveries of cars. There, it, this is a different country, of course, and and some of the countries that Formula E goes to, there there are still skills that have been learned and and um, applications of what they do and how, how they do it. So, I think in this case, what what actually really riled the drivers was that they, there was no verbal warning from from Scott. Uh, approaching the scene when that recovery vehicle was on the track and and look you know they're, they're going slowly they're going at 10 15 kilometers at 15 20 kilometers an, an hour anywhere they're going slowly but that's kind of beside the point when you've got something structurally that big on the racetrack it's it's not it's not the best solution and um Scott Scott was very um, honest about it. Um, he was trying to deal with that situation, and that meant that the drivers weren't warned about it. And it was uh, the worst possible place on the track, a blind corner, uh, and that made made it very difficult. And we got the situation where everything sort of ground to a halt, and there was this concertina effect where several cars hit each other, um, which no one wants to see in, in that situation. But uh, above and beyond that, I think the the fact that we didn't go racing uh, when the incident happened with sort of 10 and a half minutes to go was was most unfortunate and, and, and not great. It, it wasn't a great look for the championship that they couldn't recover a car and, and get at least at least a couple of laps. It should have been really three laps and, and the final lap to go. I mean, if that would have happened, it would have been a, a flat out race. But look, it's still a race. I don't think anyone wants to see um, events ending with with effectively um you know which was a full safety car situation um i think they'll they'll learn from it they'll look at it and they'll they'll hopefully you know we won't have these delays in recovering the cars and, and actually done in that manner again uh, there is a rule in place of course the other part of this is that there is now a rule in place where 
and you have extra time in the in the race if there is um, multiple or if there is race suspensions and unfortunately if it if the safety car goes into the 40th minute of the 45 minute plus one lap race then the extra time won't be added and you know there was a bit of discussion about well we know why that rule's in place but you know can that be looked at in future is there a is there a possible tweak of that rule where we do at least get a finish to a race under green flag conditions you know that's one for the what's one for the rule makers um but it was um yeah just unsatisfactory i mean you know when you have broadcasters such as channel four um in the uk a terrestrial tv station doing these races live and it ends up in a unsatisfactory way like that it's it's not great for the championship but as norma says as long as lessons are learned and, and things will happen then things will improve then that's the main thing and i've no doubt that it will and you know scott scott elkins has been a been a, a really good race director for Formula E for for multiple seasons now but it, you know it wasn't certainly wasn't the finest of days uh in that department for for Deria race two but um yeah I think ultimately um things will be learned from this and uh we'll, we'll end up getting uh, uh better racing right to the checkered flag in the future So one thing we should definitely talk about as well before we uh, before we sign off and talk about the Deria races is how the three rookies got on. We had IndyCar convert Oliver Askew, sometime Formula One protege Dan Tictum, and uh, Antonio Giovinazzi straight from Formula One. And they are quite differing fortunes, like we've already said. Askew impressed. Dan Tictum um, did better than many th- would have expected, I think, particularly versus his teammate. But the highest profile rookie, uh, Giovinazzi, had a pretty horrible week at first weekend in Formula E. So... Uh, Sam, you go first with this. What did you make of the three rookies' weekends? We kind of covered Askew already, so think about Tictum and Giovinazzi in particular. Yeah, I mean, obviously the most high profile, you'd say, is, is Antonio Giovinazzi coming from a few seasons in Formula 1 with Alfa Romeo. It, it was always going to be a tough ask for Antonio to come in so late. He'd only had two days at Valencia and, and I think a filming day as well with minimal running. So uh, when you add that to the fact that the team that he's joined, um, Dragon Penske Racing, are, are one of the least competitive teams in the championship and have, have been finishing in the lower reaches of the uh, the points tables for, for three or four seasons now, then it, um, it was always going to be a tall order. That combined with the fact that the car is, as we said before, homologated for another season, so no practical... Um, systems upgrades other than other than software and, and a few other tweaks can be made it's it's going to be a long season for him but in in, in the, with that in mind i actually expected a little bit more from the weekend and, and when you put it level and you look at what dan tickton was able to do with neo undoubtedly tickton came away with um, the better look, I thought Tickton was actually really good. I was listening to his radio. Um, I mean, you should never pass up the chance of listening to Dan Tickton's radio. That goes without saying. But uh, in in free practice too, he was he was pretty punchy and feisty, and um, he's really committed to this uh, Formula E journey he's on. And and actually, you know, he gave Oliver Turvey a pretty a pretty good run for his money in his first ever. Uh, uh, in his first ever race, so fair play to Dan Tickton. I thought he was he was pretty strong all weekend, and um, you know it's going to be very difficult for him to get near the points this season. It's going to take a bit of luck and um, cards to fall in his favour. 
going back to Giovinazzi, um, he did improve. Um, he was getting closer to Sete Camera on the, the, the Saturday, um, but then fell away. I think just the the experience um, of, of what he had to do with the car, all those things that Norman mentioned as a rookie that come to you and you've got to think about and, and deploy and learn from. I think he's got to be given multiple races, of course, but the thing is when you come from Formula One, and I know this is there's, there's no direct com- comparison, but uh, there will be um, Giovinazzi will be cut a lot less slack than than other drivers, which you know you can argue for or against that. I don't know, but I think people expected a little bit more from him. His ultimate gauge, his ultimate target is going to be his teammate Sergio Sete Camera, who had much the better of him last weekend. But uh, is a really tough track. It's probably the toughest track on the calendar as well. Let's see when we get to Mexico. He's been there before. He's not been on that configuration of circuit, but it is certainly an easier circuit to to race on in Formula E. So let, let's see where we are after Mexico, but certainly it's, it's going to take him multiple races to get i think anywhere near his teammate let alone the uh, the rest of his competition i mean norman you know from personal experience how tough formula e is for a rookie so give us some insight into the into the challenges that those three would have faced last weekend and, and how do you think they got on yes um to be honest as uh, sam just mentioned like uh, this track especially when you're a rookie is really really tough like you know you have fast corner slow corner uh, you have a bit of everything and added to that um, you didn't drive the car or I mean you didn't race uh, for for a few months uh, and when you're a rookie it's a kind of track which is really really difficult because um, as we I said before like with the track being like really dusty and sandy um, like if you a bit of line and we could see with Nick the race in FP1 you're off the track and uh, Formula is about, uh, if you want to push to the limit, it's uh, about being confident with your car and being able to push over the limit, you know. And uh, like in my position last year, like uh, I had a decent weekend, but I was far off my teammate. And also um, it's, um, uh, it depends also on your mentality. Like uh, a guy like I think like Giovinazzi, he, as Sam just mentioned, like he's coming from Formula One with big expectation around him. And uh, you don't want to look also, you know, stupid like and, and crash every session. Uh, but in the other hand, uh, you need to take time to, to learn. Even if you're coming from Formula One, you know, uh, you it's not like you're better than all the, the people on the grid. Uh, it shows also like the level that the Formula e has and, uh, and uh, also like fans from Formula One who think that uh, uh, Formula E, it's, a, it's a, an easy car to drive, an easy championship uh, compared to Formula One it shows that it's not and it's also maybe not I would say the opposite but it's completely different so you need to give time to this guy uh, for sure like I expect Antonio like from uh, Mexico already to be to be better and uh, uh, it's just about to bring like some some confidence because with this car more than one as a car like you know like a Formula 1 you have done force and you have grip and and basically you kind of don't have to change your driving style from everything you've learned before when you jump in a Formula E car, you have to forget about everything you've learned in the past and you have to learn and understand uh, what you have in your hands. And trust me, it's like completely different than what you've learned in the past. So, yeah, I would say that for Antonio, for sure, like people will be harsh on him and everything because he's coming from Formula One and uh, he's part of the game as well, you know, but uh, it's... Uh, 
now it's up to 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 him you know to just focus on his job and to to try to understand and just to to improve um regarding uh, Dan, Dan Chiktum, uh, I was quite surprised to be honest he, he did like uh, quite a good job in general no mistake uh, he showed some good uh, some good pace in free practice uh, even in qualifying and in race he was clean you know so so no a pretty pretty strong weekend for for him and uh, ask you as you say like uh, uh, same for him he, he looks like in race you know he, he, you could see that he was uh, rookie, uh, especially in race two, where in the fight he was a bit too gentle at some point. But this is normal as well because, to be honest, when you drive uh, in Formula E, uh, it's like uh, coming back a bit like in karting, you know, where you have to to fight like really hard with the others, and you also can touch at some point have to. So this is the kind of thing where when you arrive, you're a bit surprised, and people, you know, who have more experience than you. Uh, they know it as well in the car. Remember, like last year, Antonio uh, in T14 uh, going diving on the inside on me, and I was really surprised because uh, with uh, like a Formula Two or one of the car, I'm pretty sure he, he wouldn't have tried this move. But he knows that the car is capable doing it, and he also knows that there is work in front, and we're already like focusing you know, on the energy management and everything. So people are smart enough and they have the with the they use experience compared to a rookie to do this kind of thing so so yeah to be honest uh, I, I think that uh, on some other track it would be easier for the rookies uh, like mexico i expect uh, i expect some of them to to be even stronger and uh, regarding like uh, um ask you is andre Dica, it seems that uh, the car seems the package seems to be really strong i pretty agree with what you said on denis uh, Denise did like a fantastic year last year and uh, again he arrived like on day one he was uh, straight uh, into the battle so it's, it showed that uh, they have a good driver lineup a good package as well as a car because you know like uh, it was really interesting for me like in FP1 and FP2 being uh, uh, next to the track and could see like some corners uh, seeing like the different car balance in general and like you could clearly see that uh, the Andre car. Uh, seems to be quite smooth uh, and uh, and the drivers it's, it's nothing impressive when you see them to be honest but it seems to be working pretty well and as I say there is no really movement of the cars the car seems pretty easy to drive so I expect them like, and especially ask you as a rookie to with more confidence and with a stronger first weekend to uh, to, uh, to to score points uh, for Formula in the future so let's very quickly round off our look at Diria by both of you taking a bit of a prediction of what's going to happen next. Let's, Sam, you go first. Now we've seen two races in, in the 2022 Formula E season. Where are we at? What can we expect in the coming races? And who's the title fight going to be between? Well, famously, making predictions in Formula E is like sort of juggling sand, isn't it? Or, you know, reading, trying to read a newspaper in a, a Mistral wind <laughs> phenomenon. It's, it's just really difficult to get an accurate understanding. But... I, th- I think with the qualifying format, we will get a, a, a firmer hierarchy. We will know. Certainly the Mercedes-powered uh, cars are, are up there, and I would say are the early favourites, and, and that's kind of to be expected. Jaguar will fight back, and I expect Jaguar to be uh, right there and, and, and winning races sooner rather than later. Um, we've talked about Andretti, Diaz to Cheetah, and... Um, um, and Envision. Uh, I think they're very capable of, of winning races or at least challenging for races. We've not talked much about DS to Cheetah, but th- there's a lot going on at that team, uh, certainly off the track um, about its future, which 
I still think will have an impact on on how it performs this year. Antonio Felix da Costa had a, a very very difficult weekend. In fact, he he uh, articulated it to me as being one of the toughest race meetings of his career, which was which was quite shocking when you consider that he's been around for so long and, and, and raced in so many disciplines. So a very difficult weekend for him. Um, I, I think there will be multiple winners. We we talked about this with Gary Paffett in the last podcast that we did there will be multiple winners it will ultimately be a very competitive championship there'll be multiple um championship protagonists going to seoul i'm sure at least two or three um not quite the 14 that we had last season uh so there's a lot to look forward to i think mexico will be very different very different challenge even in, in qualifying i think that the tire strategies will be very uh, intriguing let's say there's that long right-hander leading onto the the main straight there, which you do get a lot of degradation on the tyres, especially if it's quite hot, which we expect at the Hermanos Rodriguez circuit. Uh, And then we've got this gap. So I think the the calendar gap, it's going to be interesting really from Mexico, who comes out with a a good clutch of points. And, you know, already I think it's, uh, although it's a long season, I think there are certain teams, and and I think Jaguar are one of them, who can't afford a bad a bad Mexico and going into that gap sort of asking questions of itself I think DS to Cheetah certainly and Jaguar need to fight back very quickly um, uh, otherwise uh, there is always the chance that the uh, the four Mercedes car can, can break away at the front So Norman what's your prediction from here who are you expecting the battle to be between in Mexico and, and for the championship now? Well that's a really really difficult uh, <laughs> question to answer to be honest Uh what is sure is that Mercedes they will be they will be fighting until the end for the championship. Um, Jaguar for sure. Like if you look at last year, like I think they missed a bit of consistency. But uh, we have a we have a good package. It's just about to put everything together now and to do a clean a clean weekend. Um, Andretti, as I say, they seems to be they seems to be strong. Um, you know, like having a first weekend as they had. Uh, even for for Jake uh, Dennis, for sure, like now he he got the confidence that uh, that last year was not like uh, uh, not like a surprise what he did, but it was like the proper pace they have. And uh, as I said, like the, now they have experience, even if like they have some change in the team, and it looks like they're gonna be they're gonna be fighting until the end. Um, and I would say that uh, yeah, DS. Cheetah, uh, for me, the weak point for them is uh, the qualifying. Uh, they are really inconsistent, and because like when they are able to to start in top seven in race, they are super strong. Uh, but the problem is that uh, they they are not really strong enough in qualifying or not enough consistent. I would say uh, to fight for a championship. Which if you have a look, the Mercedes even when they make a mistake or they do like it's a difficult day for them. They still like. They finish on P9, P10 in qualifying, which is still reasonable. Um, so I would say these three teams at the end would be the one where uh, they will be fighting. And uh, yeah, maybe in a lack of Venturi, as I said, like if uh, uh, more experienced and two experienced drivers, uh, they will be for sure like fighting, uh, fighting with the other. Uh, maybe they will be, you know, they will let, in fact, the other fight and they just try to maximize points. And it could be the surprise at the end of the year. So there's one big news story we need to look at quickly before we before we go, 
Uh, Sam, you've been doing some forensic deep dives into what you've called the Formula E dating game for 2023 as independent teams try to hook up with manufacturers and get their futures for Gen 3 sorted. And uh, this is a hugely popular story on the race this week already. You've identified a fascinating potential partnership, which is definitely in super team territory. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, this was keeping me pretty busy last weekend in Saudi Arabia. Um, Team Brackley, let's call them... uh, known as Mercedes EQ until August when, of course, Mercedes as a manufacturer are, are giving up their interest in Formula E. The anticipation is that that team will continue um, to be run from Brackley and that they have identified Nissan powertrains uh, for a deal, a supply deal as a customer with, with Nissan. Um, but the intriguing, the really intriguing part is that we believe they are well. They certainly are in discussions with McLaren about a potential, let's call it a super team formation for for next season. That these are ongoing. There is no decision yet. There are other options that uh, Team Brackley, let's call them, are are exploring. Um, but certainly these discussions are happening, and it could see another brand, a huge brand in in McLaren joining Maserati in Formula E next season. Let's hope that happens. But um, whether or not it does, we should know in the next few weeks because it's um, it's the sort of thing that time-wise is is critical, certainly for the, the powertrain deal to be signed off because the supply, the, the, the lead times on, on supply of parts to get customer powertrains is is critical now. I mean, a few manufacturers were telling me that it, you know, they would consider it too late in February now for a, a deal to be done. So it has to be there. It has to be rubber stamped and signed off. The McLaren aspect is intriguing. Zach Brown has said that, you know, he will make a decision by the end of Q1, which obviously is, is March. But I think probably if it does happen that it will we'll know or certainly internally it will be done this month so watch this space on that one it's a it's an intriguing one if it does happen and the indications are that uh that sort of detailed talks are ongoing uh right now in trying to make make that um make that storyline completely sealed and, and signed so yeah it'd be it'd be another great news story for, for the championship if that does come off yeah, that is an absolutely lovely one to finish this podcast with. Thank you very much for your time, Sam and Norman. I mean, Norman, you've had a very busy week with your first appearance for Jaguar and you've had your World Endurance Championship program. Uh, what are you up to for the rest of the week? Are you back in the simulator? Are you, uh, when, and are you heading off to Mexico afterwards? Uh, yes, I'm, uh, like we, did, uh, we did a debriefing of the weekend yesterday with, uh, with the team with Jaguar. And uh, yeah, obviously, I'm going to try to to prepare the uh, the race uh, with them because, you know, like in my position, uh, especially in a COVID situation, it can happen that at some point I have to jump in the car, so I have to get ready for it. So as I said, like I'm uh, I'm physically training as well uh, because uh, I have to be fit for Formula E, but also for Endurance Championship. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, let's say, like a basic... uh, um, basic preparation for me, like just doing like uh, meetings, uh, jumping the simulator, and uh, and train physically next week. And so, Sam, you're off to Mexico as well. So for you, presumably, it's just margaritas and nachos. Uh, standard, that's standard practice for me, Matt. Yeah. So um, I'll I'll do a column on my consumption. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. All right, I'll stick that in the content plan. Well, thank you very much, Sam and Norman. Thank you for listening as well. We'll be back with a post Mexico City E Pre podcast as well. And in the meantime. 
well, there's, there's podcasts all over the place on the race that, uh, this month, some of which I'm not even presenting. Um, Formula One launches are just around the corner, so there'll be plenty of uh, plenty of news from the world of Formula One. MotoGP podcast is up and running. IndyCar podcast is back very soon too. And we're halfway through a series of Bring Back V10s, our fantastic retro Formula One podcast as well. Obviously, you can check out the race, the-race.com, for all the latest news from Formula E, Formula One, MotoGP, and IndyCar. Thank you very much for your time, and we'll see you all online on a podcast or on a video soon. Bye.